Welcome home. You're listening to the 180 Church Podcast with Dr. Sammy and friends. Dr. Sammy D. Kim is a Harvard-trained ethicist and co-founder of 180 Church NYC. He is a Yale Hastings Scholar at the Yale Interdisciplinary Center for Bioethics and the Hastings Center, where he explores the inequities surrounding health, immigration, and social policies, along with professional burnout. He is also a regular contributor to Christianity Today. For more information, please visit his website at samdkim.com. Welcome, everyone joining us online and in person. Just going to give you a moment to center yourself as we practice some silence and solitude to hear from the Lord this morning. So let's exhale. Father, we give you all our angst, all the things weighing deeply on our minds and our hearts that we might not share or verbalize, but we give them to you. The Bible tells us the Spirit would communicate for us. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, you would intercede for us as the high priest Jesus prays for us. So we may bring to surface all the things that are left unsaid. And inhale the presence of God and the transcending promise of his peace. Robert Mulholland prays, Gracious and loving God, you know the deep inner patterns of my life that keep me from being totally yours. You know the mist informed structures of me by my being that hold me in bondage to something less than your high purpose for my life. You also know my reluctance to let you have your way with me in these areas. Hear the deeper cry of my heart for wholeness and by your grace, enable me to be open to your transforming presence today. Lord, have mercy. All God's people pray, amen. Uh, just as Paul comes up, we want to announce that Jeff and Nancy gave birth to their child. So let's give them a hand, Diego. Um, so keep uh, them in prayer, Diego in prayer. They're, everyone's healthy. They're recovering, and, and um, Diego is one smiley baby. So All right, let's welcome our brother Paul uh, as he gives us word, and then we'll see you later. Um, first slide, please. Okay, so you might want to mute this uh, the announcement mic, but we're in the season of Lent, and Lent is a time of repentance, of fasting, and preparation for you know the coming of Easter, and it's a time for self-examination and reflection. So uh, last week we talked about the practice of tithing, um, not as a goal, but as a starting place and as an expression of the centrality of God, God's leadership to our stewardship. And we know in our minds that God is Lord of all creation, 
but in our hearts and our stewardship, it may reflect a different understanding of God's position in our lives. Um, the stewardship of money, trusting in God's provision, finding peace in God's ordained enough, uh, competes with our deep insecurities. Uh, we feel pressure to take control of our own means, and we fall prey to the belief that I can be a better master. Um, the Bible tells me that I should operate out of this percent, but I really want that thing and it's out of my budget. Um, and I think to myself, wouldn't it be better if I had it? Uh, so ultimately, our aversion to tithing and stewardship stems from our distrust in God's capacity to be fully loving, to be fully capable, to be fully generous with me. Um, but the stewardship of money, while important, is just one facet of the dilemma, the human condition. And so the facet that I want to talk to you about today is joy. So I'll raise the question, can I trust God with my joy? And so that's the topic that I want to tackle today. Uh, next slide. Okay, so when I say joy, I hope no one's afraid of mice, but <laughs> too late. Uh, when I say joy, I mean a feeling of great pleasure and happiness. Um, the American Psychology Association, APA, defines joy as a feeling of extreme gladness, delight, or exaltation of the spirit arising from a sense of well-being or satisfaction. So now this feeling usually doesn't occur spontaneously. Um, we don't normally just feel great out of the blue. Uh, we feel pleasure and happiness in response to something. So for example, pressing a lever and receiving food, depending on how you feel about food, you may feel great pleasure and happiness. Um, mice don't overcomplicate the situation so they feel joy. Humans, sometimes. Um, so seeking out joy is core to the human experience. Our capacity to experience joy is wired in us. Our brains, as complicated as they are, are wired to look for stimulation, for pleasure. And in that regard, we're pretty simple creatures. Um, over time, as we go through life, we experience a lot of different things that give us great pleasure and happiness. Um, we experience things like ice cream, uh, things like funny movies. We experience the joys of kitchen appliances. Um, and whether we recognize it or not, we learn to enjoy certain experiences. Uh, we learn to find joy in things, like the repetition of making and drinking coffee. We learn that. It's not innate. Um, so our joy is not only innate, but our joy is also learned. Um, and it's like developing our taste buds. So we can experience and appreciate things from afar, but there's more joy and appreciation when you're up close. Um, when you take the time to learn how to experience or appreciate your experiences. So I recently went to Japan um, and went to an omakase dinner. Um, and while every piece was elaborately and intentionally curated by the chef and his team, uh, my caveman taste buds could, couldn't enjoy the food <laughs> um, as it grew more and more exotic. So as it went from fish to liver to uni, yeah, it couldn't do it. Um, and my taste buds preferred the $15 chirashidon from the fish market um, over the $200 omakase cork meal. Blasphemy, I know. Okay. <laughs> um, so for the first point that I want to make for today is that joy is learned. That through study and the accumulation of experiences, we can actually learn to enjoy something. And if any of you play an instrument or if you play a game competitively, you'll know that when you're first introduced to that instrument or to the game, there's more of a struggle 
than an, an enjoyment. Um, and it's through practice and repetition that we begin to enjoy ourselves. So there comes a point when we no longer struggle to move our body, whether it's your fingers on an instrument or on a keyboard, but instead uh, we think about meta concepts like style and nuance, and that leads us to greater joy of something. Um, the flip side to joy uh, being learned is that we can also train ourselves to enjoy strange things, bad things, harmful things. And while our pleasure response and the feelings of happiness remain neutral, um, where we choose to pursue joy is not. So psychology and neuroscience can teach us the mechanisms that operate within our body, the dopamine release, the resulting strengthening of neural reward pathways and resulting behaviors. But psychology and neuroscience cannot answer the moral question, what should we find joy in? Um, and for that answer, we need to look to the Bible. So next slide. So what does the Bible say about joy? Um, and why is joy so important? So the Bible makes a big deal of joy. And I'm going to just go through one, two, three, four, five passages real fast. So 2 Samuel 6, uh, 14, 15, and David danced before the Lord with all his might, wearing a priestly garment. So David and all the people of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts of joy and the blowing of the ram's horns. So David dancing before the Ark of the Covenant. Um, Psalms 36, 4, delight yourself in the Lord. Psalms 105, 43, he brought his people out with rejoicing, his chosen ones with shouts of joy. Luke 2, 10, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Philippians 4, chapter 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. There's thousands of places that mention joy. Um, but across these passages, uh, we, we want to note a couple of things. We see dancing, we see delighting, we see rejoicing, we see shouting in the Lord. Um, and the Bible tells us to rejoice in the Lord in his presence, in his work, in his promises, to experience feelings of great pleasure and happiness in the Lord. Um, and the call to joy is not an observation. They're not saying this is how people responded. Um, it's not a recommendation or an encouragement. It's actually a command. And it's given to us by the psalmist, by the angels, by the apostles, and by God. And so God commands us to rejoice in the Lord. So God means for the, our enjoyment of God to be purposeful and to be intentional. Um, so Psalm 32, 11, rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous, sing all who are upright in heart. And the Bible also tells us that there are consequences when the people of God do not rejoice in the Lord. So Deuteronomy 28, 47, 48, because you did not serve the Lord your God with joyfulness and gladness of heart, you shall serve your enemies. So if joy itself is a feeling of happiness in response to something, such as an event or for good news, then a command to rejoice in God means I am commanded to find things in God to rejoice in, right? To remember the works of God, to rehearse the promises of God, to pursue new experiences with God, that elicits joy. Um, it's a command to sit in the presence of God, uh, to spend time with him and wonder. Choosing joy means choosing to let our minds and hearts dwell in the things of God, to dwell on God's grace, God's mercy, God's power, and God's love. But why is rejoicing, why is this joy so important to God? Like, what, what does it matter what I'm joyful for? What's the logic? Next slide. So the second point that I want to raise 
Um, there's a lot on the screen. But John Piper describes it this way, and I think it's a fantastic quote. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. God is glorified in his people by the way we experience him, not merely by the way that we think of him. So what does this mean in plain English? Well, there's, uh, when I outward re outwardly rejoice in someone or something, the person or thing that I rejoice in receives praise and is glorified. Okay, so consider the expression, this common expression, nothing would make me happier than to spend time with you. The more satisfied I am, the more glorified you are, right? Nothing would make me happier than to spend time with you. Who feels good? You feel good. All right, so, <laughs> um, so Christ is magnified in me when I am satisfied in him. And it's our enjoyment of God that draws people in. They see our delight and they recognize the glory, right? So the more outwardly I am joyful, people see that. And they wonder about what? Me? No. They wonder about what I'm joyful about. Um, so John, Jonathan Edwards says this, God glorifies himself toward the creatures in two ways. First, by appearing to their understanding. And second, in communicating himself to their hearts and in their rejoicing and delighting in and enjoying the manifestations which he makes of himself, God is glorified not only by his glory being seen, but by it being rejoiced in. When those that see it delight in it, God is more glorified than if we only see it. Um, so there's, there's a two action that's happening, right? We need to see the glory first. We need to see God, and then we need to rejoice in it. So there's an action and response. So looking back to the early church, um, despite the oppression and the resistance that they faced, the church was recognized by their joy. Um, and it was their joy that drew people to Jesus. Acts 2, 46. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all, this, all the people. And the Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. And even while in prison, Paul rejoiced. So Philippians 1, 9, 19, 21. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provisions for the Spirit, of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will be in no way ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death, for me to live is to Christ and to die is gain. When everyone in the world expected Paul to be discouraged and dissatisfied while sitting in prison, he was deeply satisfied in Jesus and rejoiced in him. So in Paul's imprisonment, in his suffering, who looked good, who received the glory? From Paul's joy, Jesus looked good. Jesus looked like a treasure worthy of prison, worthy of suffering, beyond anything that this world has to, uh, has to offer. Um, and then John Piper says this again, Christ is shown to be magnificent in our dying when we experience him as more satisfying than all the pleasures of life in this world. Christ is most magnified in me when I am most satisfied in him, especially in moments of suffering and death. So Paul believed that when he died, he would be more satisfied than in life. Why? Because when he dies, he receives Christ, the object, the center of his joy. So Habakkuk 
3, 17, and 18. Though the fig tree does not blossom and no fruit is on its vines, though the produce of the olive fails and the fields yield no food, though the flock is cut off from the fold and there is no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will, I will exult in the God of my salvation. Next slide. So all that's to say, hopefully by now it's clear that God desires that we rejoice in him. God aims to be glorified in our lives. But what about everything else, right? We, we have to consider what about all the other competing joys? What about everything apart from God that I find joy in? Things like coffee, things like board games. Um, when we read the Bible, we encounter passages like Luke 9, 23, you know, then he said to them all, if any of you wish to come after me, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and daily and follow me. And then all of a sudden we think that following Jesus is pitted against my happiness. Um, and it seems like an impossible situation. Is it God's glory or is it my joy? What is it? Um, and the, the fact remains, you know, I want to be happy in my life um, and I want to follow Jesus and glorify God. Um, and the question is, is are those two things competing, uh, competing motivations? And so C.S. Lewis says this in his sermon entitled The Weight of Glory, and it's on the screen. So the New Testament has a lot to say about self-denial, but not about self-denial as an end in itself. We are told to deny ourselves and take up our cross in order that we may follow Christ. And nearly every description of what we shall ultimately find if we do so contains an appeal to desire. If there lurks in most modern minds the notion that to desire our own good and earnestly to hope for the enjoyment of it is a bad thing, I submit that that notion has crept in from Kant and the Stoics and is no part of the Christian faith. Indeed, if we considered the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. So our separation of God's glory and our happiness is actually a failure to recognize that God is central and I'm not, um, that God is Lord and I'm not. And we we're made to find unimaginable satisfaction and joy in Christ, right? But everything in the world is fighting to get our attention, trying to convince us that this television show or that job security is more satisfying than Jesus. And while we are on this earth, We'll, we'll get distracted over and over again. We can't help it. So we need to learn what it means to fight for a greater joy, right? I'm not saying that everything in the world is inherently bad. What I am saying is that it's inherently inferior. Um, but when we pursue joy in the gift rather than the giver, when we elevate, elevate our earthly joy over and against God's glory, at that point we sin, right? When we prioritize our earthly joy over and against God's glory. And the reason we sin is because in the moment, it feels good to sin, right? Um, because it's pleasurable. Nobody sins out of duty. But as C.S. Lewis tells us, there's even greater joy waiting for those that seek it in Jesus. And so fighting for joy is not the denial of pleasure and happiness, but an exchange of a lesser pleasure, a temporary happiness with a superior joy. So we ask ourselves, is it self-denial 
when we're in pursuit of greater joy? Is it really self-denial? So fighting for joy is not a struggle to carry a burden, but it's a struggle to let go of a burden, our perpetual thirst for happiness, because we're letting it be satisfied in Christ. And so a fight to taste and see that the Lord is good over and over again, right? God's passion to be glorified and my passion to be satisfied are not alternatives, but they're on the same spectrum. They're towards the same thing. Christ is magnified when I am most satisfied in him. Paul experienced his self-denial. Um, he suffered, but his suffering was in pursuit of a great, greater joy that he found in Jesus. Next slide. Um, we see the same thing in Jesus. Hebrews 12, verse 2. Looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of joy that was set before him, endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. So the cross was possible because Jesus pursued the greatest joy imaginable, the joy of being exalted on God's right hand in the assembly of the redeemed people. And it wasn't just out of Jesus's obligation to love, right, that he endured the cross. It was for joy that Jesus endured the cross. There was joy on the other side of the cross, the joy of salvation, the joy of a heavenly reward, the joy of the Father. So then how should we, in light of that example, obey God? We should obey God in pursuit of the joy that's set before us in Christ, the joy that we may not fully comprehend yet, like we fully won't know it or understand, but we can ask God to better reveal to us what that joy in God might look like. And so during this Lenten season, I encourage you to fix your eyes on God's glory and experience God's abundant joy. And so I'm gonna end by reading the verse that we read at the beginning, um, Matthew 13, 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and reburied. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he had and buys that field. And I'll let Phone Peace stand back up. Let's stand together. You know, the Bible depicts everlasting joy in many references in the Old Testament and the New, but tell someone next to you a buffet. No, 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 like seriously, a buffet. Tell them, buffet. A buffet. But announce the boof buffet. Buffet. Because in the first world, which is eschatologically, catch that, the future, the buffet, is a prophetic foreshadowing of heaven. Because the Bible tells us that there will be a feast. But if you have all eternity to eat at a buffet, especially you have to learn incrementally something called a habit, good habits at a buffet. Now, all of you have been to good buffets. Now, the real good buffets are expensive. But you have to learn not to be inferior or stupid in buffets. You can't fill up on carbs. You can't eat the cheap things. Even though, in my preparation to go to the buffet, sometimes I go to Fogo, which is a Brazilian steakhouse. You guys wanna go after service? Okay. I mean, I mean seriously, it, you, 
They what they do is they put the bread on the table, the pasta and the rice, and they tell you go to the salad bar so you don't eat the best meat, the most expensive meat. But because I'm a sophisticate, <laughs> I don't eat. They bring the chicken. And they bring it to my face. I go <laughs> no to the chicken, no to the pork and uh, the other stuff. I'm like no, bring me the best steaks. And I don't even eat the whole steak. I just eat the medium rare pieces. <laughs> the whole point of the idea of pursuing joy, and Paul really conveyed that clearly with, with Piper's idea. Our Lord does not find our desire, and this is a lot of Christians think this, falsely. God thinks that our desires is what leads us to sin. No, it's our prophetic desire that leads us to sin. God doesn't find your sexual desire impulsive. God doesn't find your appetite to experience amazing happiness appalling. He just thinks you're weak sauce. He thinks we're weak sauce. Because that's it. That's all you want? That you're okay with that? A hot dog? When this buffet I set before you, I want to give you so much more. I want to experience it with you. So today, God's allowing us to see the buffet of his glory and joy. He wants us to experience the best things. So today, what we need to do is practice something called faith. A habit called faith. Because, you know, prayer is a habit. Worship is a habit. Coping is a habit. What do we do when we're stressed? When we're pressed? When we're scared? How we cope in life are habits. Faith is a habit. And the main practice of those habits is prayer, worship, adoration. And if we don't practice those things, we become what we repeat. We become vengeful, bitter, drunk, high, whatever your vices are, I don't know, but you do. That's who you become. So today, I want to issue a challenge during Lent. Every time you want to give in to what is easier, in the next, I don't know, we have 12 days more toward Easter, toward that culmination of the resurrection and the promise of hope. What if every single time you felt pressed, anxious, angry, resentful, you turn to Jesus and said, I want to experience the freedom and joy you bring in my life. And I'm not going to turn to the vices. And you pray for 30 seconds. Say, God, I surrender this feeling, this fear, this temptation, and I pray you open a door for me to experience your presence, your promise, and your joy. That takes habit. 
So I want to invite you to lift your hands to the Lord today. I want you to surrender one thing today. Whatever is pressing you, whatever is worrying you, whatever is bothering you. And say, I want to experience the promise of your joy in my life. I want to experience your power in my life. Because you can't overcome temptation with less intensity. It has to be higher intensity. And the Bible tells us that the greatest joy is found in Christ, the treasure of the universe. Let's make this our prayer today.
the best. in the New Testament about our joy is this. God will pursue, and he promises this, God will pursue your greatest joy. I'm not talking about fleeting joy. I'm talking about aesthetic joy. Joy that will last from now to eternity as we build better habits. So then how do you get that joy? I'll give you one thing as we close today. And it sounds almost like cliche if you don't understand it. But if you see the interplay between God's glory and our joy, you'll begin to understand why God says, say no to sin. Say yes to righteousness. God's greatest pursuit is for our joy, but our greatest pursuit shouldn't be for our joy because sometimes what we think will make us joyful will make us sometimes miserable. This happened in the garden. So then what should our greatest pursuit be? God's glory. How does this glorify God? Ask that question every single time. You go, that's so boring, Doc. What about me? Because if you pursue God's glory, you leave the joy up to him. Because the Bible promises if you pursue his glory, he will pursue your joy. I'd rather have the greater, the interest, my own interest that I can't see, I would leave up to God. That's why there's something called faith. That's why there's something called hope. He sees what we cannot see into the future, to the present, and even to the past. And the question Paul asked was, not Apostle Paul, our brother Paul, do we trust God with our joy? That's a question we have to grapple with. That's why we have to practice faith. Be like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. My cognition says God is absolutely committed to my joy. But I think I could be a better master of that. That's sin. How I pursue my joy is to pursue his glory because he's pursuing my joy. And then when I'm most satisfied in him, exalt in him, E-X with the U, not A, internally, then he's most glorified. That's how the finite and infinite beings work. So Father, today, we want to pray. <laughs> the whole concept of eternity. Why it takes eternity to experience joy forevermore is because we're created finite. If we were infinite, 
then there's nothing more we need to grow into or learn. The adventures would be over. Can you imagine that God created a buffet like that for us to learn to grow, to experience joy every morning from this sun and the light of its beauty touching the whole earth to seeing the glory of the Son of God in eternity and the, how that light touches the whole cosmos in eternity. It's practice. So Father, we pray you would enlarge our capacity to hold the greatest treasures of the world in you and trust you with our joy. As we give you all the glory and we get all the joy. Will you bow your heads for the benediction today? May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. All God's people pray. Amen. Go with joy and go in peace. Amen. everyone happy sunday it's almost spring so happy almost spring and someone told me today is national chocolate caramel day slash certified nurse day slash laughing day so there's that my name is grace um and i am a member here at 180 church and i will be sharing some community news with you so first off we have tithes and offering If you're a member here at 180 Church, we ask that you continue to keep God at the center of your finances and to tithe faithfully. You can send your offerings via Venmo, Zelle, Chase QuickPay, or PayPal. If you're a visitor here with us today, we are so happy you're here and there's no financial obligation to give. But if you would like to make a donation, you can do so with the methods just mentioned. Next. We have um, all the ways we can connect with God and others in the community throughout the week. So first we have our Bible reading group on Instagram at 180DRG where you can join us anytime to read the Bible during the week. Uh, we also have a number of other platforms such as our church Facebook page, uh, Dr. Sammy's Twitter, our YouTube page where some of you are watching this announcement. and a few Instagram handles. And another way for us to stay connected during the week is through small groups. Uh, small groups are a great place to connect with others and go deeper into the message. We have various groups for um, different stages, so please see the screen for, because there's no um, day and time there, but if you are interested, you can talk to any of the greeters. Um, So in addition to the social media platforms and small groups helping us stay connected with each other, we also have books that can help us stay connected with God throughout the week. You can purchase the following resources on the screen for yourself or other people in your lives. 
these include books for devotionals and Dr. Sammy's new book, Holy Haunting, which is coming out in April. Um, so these could be great tools to share God's heart with those who don't know him yet. And while you're at the cafe, you guys know what's coming up next. Um, so there are 180 merch that you guys can check out. So if you guys haven't gotten one, you guys can see what's there. Um, there are hats and t-shirts and hoodies that you guys probably have seen other people wearing. And all the purchases mentioned so far are based on an honor system. So you can pick up your item or items and pay through the method you saw on one of the earlier slides. Next, we have the prayer hotline. Um, and as some of you might know, prayer is powerful and we want to experience that together. So if you or anyone in your life needs prayer, um, gather those people who can pray with or for you. And you can share those prayer requests by emailing prayer at 180church.tv. And everything you share will be confidential and know that there will be a team praying for you on the other end. And very exciting. Uh, Pastor Lydia recorded a beautiful instrumental with some worship songs and it's now available on 180 Church Studio. You can check that out through iTunes, Spotify, and YouTube. And this would be a, a great resource, especially as we go through Lent. And speaking of Lent, we are going through Lent um, and we have Good Friday coming up in April. We'll have our Good Friday service on April 7th at 7 um, p.m. NYU Kimmel uh, in room 905. Hope you guys can make it. And that Sunday, we're not going to meet here, but we're going to meet in Battery Park um, to have our Easter service. Uh, if you haven't RSVP'd yet, please do so by March 26th. I believe that's a Sunday. Okay, now next, for those of you with the heart to serve, here are a few options for you. So we have 180 cafe slash bookstore slash the merch find place where you can help um, us wake people up and also just help people get those, those resources. Children's ministry, we always need your help. Uh, more people to help us um, help our little members learn about God's love. We're also looking for techies who can help us build amazing things online and greeters who can help us welcome those people coming through the door. Okay, I think that's it with our announcements for today.